All right. My name is Paul, for those of you who don't know me. And we're going to be continuing in uh, the series we've been doing called Talking with God in the Jesus School of Prayer. We're in our seventh week now where we've been exploring uh, how Jesus taught us to pray as his people. Um, And if you'll open right back up, we've been in Matthew chapter 6. For the last several weeks, we've been exploring how Jesus taught his disciples to pray because they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We've been looking at at how he did that. And at the heart of Matthew chapter 6 is what we know as the Lord's Prayer, which I believe we have uh, up here on the screen. I'd love for you to pray that with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We've been talking about uh, this prayer for quite a while and looking at different aspects of prayer. Prayer as dependence, prayer as reliance. Uh, Today we're going to talk about prayer as surrender. Um, Not necessarily our favorite thing to do in life, I don't think, is to surrender. Generally has sort of a a negative connotation, feels like giving up or a sign of weakness or having been defeated. Um, But that last song we sang, I felt like actually that song, that's that's kind of the sermon today. as we stand and as we look at God for who he really is, what can we say? What can we do but to offer this heart, oh God, completely to you? Just a beautiful picture of what it looks like when we really see God for who he really is in some ways surrender, to surrender our hearts and our souls and our beings and our lives to him is really the only natural response. It's the only logical thing to do in light of who God really is. He deserves our complete surrender. And yet there's so much in us that's just resistant to surrendering. It's just not uh, who we are as human beings. There's something in us that, that just resists the idea of surrendering. I thought I'd just read a couple definitions I found for the word surrender. I thought could be helpful for us. I really liked these. Uh, so definitions for surrender. Uh, to yield to the power of another and submit to their authority. Or this, to cease resistance to yield to the power of another and to submit to their authority and to cease resistance. And in many ways, that's what prayer is all about. Prayer is an act of yielding to the power and the authority of God, submitting to his authority. And prayer is a way that we cease resistance in the ways that we just resist God. We resist letting him have his way in our lives. As we pray, as Jesus taught us to pray, we cease resistance and we yield and submit to the power of God. It's kind of what we've been talking about this whole series in many ways. Um, A lot of times we think of prayer as a way to try to get God to do what we want. But I think uh, Pastor Tom has helped us see that more so prayer is a way that we align our lives with what God wants. And so we're just continuing with that theme today. Prayer is surrender, yielding to the power of another, to God, and submitting to his authority. Now, when it comes to surrender, there always is an authority involved. And in this case, that authority is God. We submit to his authority. And and so we're going to really zero in on this last part of the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6.13, if you could put it back up there. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now there's an asterisk up here 
by the scripture quotation. So if, you're, if you have your Bible open, I wonder how many of you have a King James Bible? Any, any King Jimmy fans? All right, there's a few. Old school, that's awesome. I love it. Um, in the King James, this is uh, in the text of the scripture. It says, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. If you have a more modern translation, you might not see it there, but you will probably see a footnote. And at, uh, at the bottom, in small print, you'll see something like, um, more, uh, some later manuscripts add, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, this is my text for today, so I just want to take a second to, to explain this. Um, so, in the King James and other translations of that era, it's in there. Uh, since then, there have been some older manuscripts of the Gospel of Matthew found without this particular phrase in it, and so that's why it's kind of a footnote in some of the more modern translations, uh, as if you know it's not in every ancient manuscript, so it's there as a footnote. But I just want to say, you know, it is quite possible that this phrase was not did not appear in Matthew's original version that, of the Gospel that he wrote down, but. There, it does appear in other ancient texts that date back just as far as Matthew's gospel. So there's a, an ancient document called the Didache, for example, which is kind of an early sort of manual of Christian prayer and, and church instruction that was circulated among early churches. And this document goes back to the first generation, uh, the first century, the first generation of the church, even to the time of the apostles, like Matthew's gospel does. And in that, there is a version of the Lord's Prayer that does have at the end, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So this way of praying, it dates back just as far as the gospel writer himself. And it dates back to the first century, the first generation of the church. It is how the early Christians prayed, the first generation of Christians prayed. And it does reflect the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of the apostles. So, uh, you know, what happened along the way? Um, there were some scribes that did, they did not make a mistake, so it was not a careless error that they just sort of accidentally added in this phrase at some point without knowing it. They're like, oops, it just appeared there. Or it's also not the case, and it's important, I just want to kind of uphold the integrity of Scripture here. It's not the case that some people added it in later as like an extra teaching once the apostles were gone to try to change the, change the teaching of the apostles. This is what the apostles taught, and at some point some scribes probably just thought, well, let's just complete Matthew's thought here and, and in their best effort to faithfully transmit the teaching of the apostles and the way the early church was praying, added it in there. That's probably how it is. But I do just want to say, A, this is exactly how the early church prayed, including the generation of the apostles. They prayed, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And this is a biblical prayer, regardless of whether it's in a, an old manuscript or not. It's a very biblical prayer because all of the Bible, all of Scripture, proclaims this message all throughout scripture talks about the kingdom of God and God as a king we did a whole series on that in the fall on the kingdom of God we could do a whole series on the power of God testified to all throughout scripture and we could do a whole series on the glory of God it's a huge theme all throughout the bible and I just wanted to show you one scripture in particular from first chronicles 29 this is king David a great king of the old testament at the height of his own power and authority and glory it says this, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. So yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever is a biblical prayer, and it is how the early Christians prayed. So we're going to dive into it today. 
it's, um, it's a common phrase. If you've grown up in church or if you've been around church for any length of time, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You've probably said that a lot of times and recited it. Uh, it could be easy for the words to lose their sting and lose their shock value, but this, this is a radical, bold um, statement to say that God's is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It always has been, and it is today. I hope we, I can help us see what a crazy thing this was for the early Christians to say, and in turn, how, how uh, radical it is for us as well. So I'm going to take you back, actually, to that first century and that first generation of Christians who were praying this prayer. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So Dan, if we could just put the whole, all four images up here. So I think images help me sometimes to understand things. So on the bottom right here, we've got a map of the Roman Empire. And all of the early church was kind of under the shadow of the Roman Empire, scattered throughout North Africa and the Middle East and Asia Minor and into Europe. Little Christian communities banded together under the shadow of the greatest superpower on earth that had ever been up until that time. And they were all in there and proclaiming, yours, God, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's a very bold thing to say. Yours is the kingdom. So the kings or the emperors, the rulers of the Roman Empire, were the most powerful leaders, the most powerful authorities on the face of the earth. There's a coin up here. That's an image of Caesar Augustus. Coins were kind of the mass media of that day, so they didn't have a Twitter feed. They didn't have the nightly news to broadcast themselves into your living room. So by coins and images, that's how the rulers got themselves into your living room every day. And this is an image of Caesar Augustus. It's his name on the right, and on the left it says, uh, I don't know if you can read it, DVF, DV meaning divine, and F is short for filius, which is the word for son. So basically saying, son of God, that was kind of a title that Caesar claimed for himself. So these were powerful rulers who claimed all authority for themselves, and many Roman emperors even demanded to be worshipped as gods. And they let their image be disseminated throughout the empire, as if to remind everybody, okay, I may not be here in person right now, but just remember who's in charge. Just remember who the authority is, it's me. And the Christians were saying, yours, God, is the kingdom. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. It's a radical statement, very countercultural. And it got many of them killed. And relatedly, uh, we have an image here. Uh, you know Jesus was crucified, uh, but that was a very, very common form of execution in the Roman Empire. And often, uh, to exert their power, so again, Rome was the greatest power, superpower on earth, uh, they would crucify, publicly execute people who rebelled against their power, rebelled against their rule as a way of exerting their power. And often a, a prominent road in the Roman Empire would be lined with the victims uh, of crucifixion as if to sit, tell passersby, you don't really want to challenge our power. Just think twice before you challenge our power and just know that we've got the power to take your life if you cause any trouble. And in the face of this, the early Christians were saying, yours, God, is the power. That God has a greater power. Uh, and, they could, and many Christians in that time period were put to death as the Roman Empire exerted its power over them. And the Christians marched triumphantly to their martyrdom as if to say, sure, you have the power to take our lives, but our God has the power to raise our lives back again. So go ahead. That's still happening today, as you may well be aware um, 
I'm really inspired by the example of our Christian brothers and sisters in Egypt who kind of marched triumphantly to their martyrdom, even just in, in recent weeks. And uh, knowing that the people who held uh, weapons to their throats to kill them had some power, had the power to take their lives, but knowing that our God has the power to raise their lives back up again. It's a bold statement to say that all power belongs to God. His is the kingdom, his is the power, and his is the glory. So I tried to, this isn't a great picture, but this is a kind of an artist's rendition of ancient Rome. So Roman Empire, it, just, it was glorious. It, it bedazzled its subjects with the glory of Rome. Rome was full of glory. This is kind of a, the, the picture of ancient Rome. It had its pantheon of gods. It was a glorious civilization. All throughout the Roman Empire, there were urban, cosmopolitan centers of the latest culture and art. It had the greatest architecture in the world. It had the greatest centers for higher learning and education, the greatest literature. It had great athletes and athletic events that would pack out the Colosseum, large stadiums like that. Greatest military in the world. I mean, does it, does it sound like any place you know? Yeah. Um, we do live under the shadow of the greatest superpower in the world. So I think this has implications for us. But, but for them, back then, I mean, they were in the greatest superpower in all the world with its athletics and culture and learning and everything. Rome bedazzled people with its glory and proclaimed the glory of Rome. And the Christians said, actually, God's glory is greater than the glory of Rome. And they were right, because Rome is in ruins now, and God is still glorious. So, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I just want to capture what a, what a bold thing that was for early Christians to pray. It was a bold prayer then, and it is a bold prayer now. And it's a prayer of surrender. It is a prayer that declares in the face of any other king or ruler or power or authority or glory that God's the ultimate authority, that we yield to his rulership and we cease resisting him. To pray in this way is to yield to God's authority. So let's just unpack it a little bit, one at a time. So yours is the kingdom. Jesus taught us to pray this. Yours is the kingdom. In many ways, we're just kind of circling back to the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, which begins, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Kind of come full circle. The Lord's Prayer begins and ends with concern for God's kingdom. So this was a radical thing for early Christians to say because in their time, there was another ruler being proclaimed as the ultimate authority, as the ultimate king. It's different for us. We say, your kingdom come. We proclaim God's as the kingdom in a time and place where we just really don't believe in kings at all. The idea of a king, it seems antiquated. It seems outdated. We're not under the authority of anybody else. and It's in our DNA as a country here in America. And we're in Massachusetts, man, the cradle of liberty where we told King George III where he could stick his crown and his taxation without representation. And we said, we're going to determine our lives for ourselves and we're going to rule ourselves, thank you very much. And, you know, I'm glad. It's not good to live under tyranny on an earthly level. But, you know, it's interesting. We just have it in our DNA to resist any kind of authority um, as people and as a culture And to submit to somebody else as king and say that I have a king ruling my life, that's just so un-American. It's very countercultural. It's not dangerous like it was for the early Christians. No one's going to kill us for it. But it just puts us out of step with the culture around us to say, um, you know, I've 
I ultimately submit to another. I take my cues from another. I take orders from God. I have a king who is the ultimate ruler and authority over my life, my decisions, my lifestyle, my sense of what is right and wrong. All of that is under the authority of a king, Jesus. It's a pretty bold thing to say nowadays, too. And that's how Jesus taught us to pray. Yours is the kingdom. So in prayer, we submit to God's authority. In prayer, we submit to God's authority. We honor him as the king of our lives. We say, whatever you say goes, and I will take my cues from you, my direction from you, my sense of right and wrong from you. You are the ultimate authority of my life. And in prayer, we cease resistance, and we let God have his way. In prayer, we submit to God's authority. Yours is the kingdom. Jesus also taught us to pray, yours is the power. Yours is the power. In prayer, we acknowledge the limits of our own power, and we call upon the unlimited power of God. In prayer, we acknowledge the limits of our own power, and we call upon the unlimited power of God. Again, the early Christians were doing this in the face of of a great earthly power, Roman Empire, Roman emperors. For us, I think our temptation is just to think we have enough power in ourselves to run our own lives. But in prayer, we acknowledge the limits of our own power and we call upon the power of God. It's tempting for us to think we've got the power to to fix and run our own lives. We can just throw money at problems. We can throw our our knowledge, our intellect, our science and technology and medical breakthroughs that can solve all of our problems. What do we really need to call upon the power of God for? Every now and then, though, we come up against situations in our lives where our powerlessness is exposed. And we're up against situations where we, we really have no power over the situation. And and that's when a lot of people start to pray. And really anyone can pray at those moments. You don't have to be a mature believer. You don't have to be a believer at all to pray when you're in trouble. When I was in college, one year I lived in a suite with four guys. There was uh, me and my friend Adam in one room and uh, two other guys in the other room. And Adam and I, we had a really close friendship. He was the one who actually led me to Christ in college. And, and we lived together, and we made it a point to pray together just about every day. We would pray together every night. And the guys in the other room, we'd, we'd kind of go in and out of each other's rooms. And there's one guy, Jack, who would always kind of burst into our room, and sometimes Adam and I would be praying. And, and he'd act all embarrassed, like he'd like walked in on us or something. He was like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, and we're like, oh, it's all right, man. We're just, we're just praying. You know, do you want to pray with us? And he, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And we'd say, well, is there anything we can pray for you about? No, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. That was kind of his motto in life. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. He was in the business school, your prototypical business student at my university, just dressed to the nines, real sharp, real confident, was going to go out and make a ton of money and, and conquer the world. And we had this exchange several times over the course of the year. You want, oh, you can pray with us. Oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. At the end of the year, he had this big project. When you're in the business school, you have this giant kind of capstone thing. You have to make a big presentation in front of the faculty and your fellow students. And it, it kind of makes or breaks you as a, as a student in this program. And the stress was piling up and getting to him. And then finally, the night before, he had to make his big presentation Adam and I are in our room, and in comes Jake. Will you guys pray for me, please? I just, 
I don't know, I'm so nervous, I don't know what to do, I just, I need some prayer. And we're like, oh sure, yeah, we've been here all year. Um, And we prayed for him and we're like, you can pray too. And so he prayed and he cried out to God, please help me, my presentation. And, And then he, you know, the next day, did it. We're like, oh, Jay, you know, how'd it go? And he's like, that oh, was good. It's good. Well, do, well do you, you know, that was pretty cool when we prayed together. You want to pray with us tonight? No, I'm good. I'm good. Unfortunately, he didn't, you know, he didn't learn from that experience. But really, I mean, anyone can pray when they're in trouble. A lot of people do. That's not really the sign of a mature prayer life and a mature walk with God. Now, we should pray when we're in trouble, but a mature Faith and a growing prayer life, as Jesus taught us to pray, acknowledges our powerlessness all the time and calls upon God's power all the time, not just when we're in trouble. We acknowledge that really we are powerless in many, many profound ways, and we call upon God's power proactively, not just when we're in trouble. I'm going to make another pitch for you guys to pray for us. Liz mentioned we're going to New Orleans for two weeks, and uh, the scope of this trip is massive. There are about 800 students from New England that are going down um, to serve and learn and work together. We're going to be responsible for a couple hundred of them. And, you know, it's massive, and there's just kind of two ways we can be tempted uh, to not pray in this situation. So this is going to be the 10th year that we've run this trip, so... There, we, it can be tempting to think, oh, we know how to do this. Like, we can, we can run this trip. But honestly, we are absolutely powerless to really make this happen. And so we're asking you guys to pray. And we know that we need to pray, not just wait until we have a crisis or a bus breaks down or, or someone gets lost in the French Quarter or something like that. I mean, we need to be praying proactively, and so we're asking you to, to pray for us. We're actually totally powerless to make this thing work. And another way we're tempted is, by now, we've run nine of these trips before, and there's a way that, um, you know, we could just try to get through it on our own strength, we, you know, to make sure everybody gets where they need to go, to lead good discussions and whatnot. But I want a life that is more than just the sum total of what I can do. I want the power of God to be at work in my life all the time. And I don't know about you, but I think a life that is just the sum total of what you can muster up, that could be fine. But what if the power of God was at work in your life day to day, moment to moment? What if you, know, you weren't just calling upon the power of God when you were in trouble, but what about each day asking God to come through in his power? You know, I want more than just to get through these two weeks and have them run smoothly. That would be amazing in and of itself with all the logistics we deal with. But I want transformation. I want students to come back with their lives on fire for Jesus. I want decisions to be made there that'll, you know, propel people into kingdom service for the rest of their lives. And I want to see communities transformed that have been struggling and hurting for a long time. I want the power of God unleashed on our trip, not just in case we get in trouble. So I submit that to you and I ask for your prayers while we're gone. Yours is the power to, acknowledge, to pray as Jesus taught us is to acknowledge our own powerlessness and to call upon the power of God proactively in our situations, in the places where we live and work and do life. What if God's power was at work in us all the time and not just when we're in trouble? Finally, yours is the glory. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Again, Rome, the Roman Empire, 
bedazzled its subjects with its glory, with its architecture and its intelligence and its pantheon of gods. And our culture tries to bedazzle us with its glory too. We don't have a pantheon of gods necessarily, gods and goddesses. We do have a pantheon of celebrities that we treat like gods and goddesses sometimes, red carpet. And we certainly have the athletics. I mean, they packed out the Roman Colosseum. It was a huge, you know, athletics were just a huge thing. And I'll be honest, I I wonder if we kind of worship our athletics to an extent in this culture and and get a little swept up in the glory of our athletes, especially around here, because we've we've had some pretty glorious, that's a, a glorious run of it in the last 15 years or so. And I'm, again, I'm just picking on this because it's, it's very real for me and something I'm honestly wrestling with. I, wear, I have a Tom Brady jersey that I, I wear on game day, so you know, I bear the image. But I've been thinking about it a lot lately, and I just wonder, you know, why have I been ascribing so much glory to the Patriots and to Tom Brady? For those of you, you know, others of you, it might be a different team, but, you know, my team's the most glorious right now. But, but what does it matter, honestly? Now, I was talking with Lou after the Super Bowl, and he was texting with his son, and we were just going crazy as it came down to the final drive, and, oh, man, our, we were just, like, emotional wrecks. And Lou's son texted him at some point and said, I wonder why this matters to me so much. And I think that's a good question that we need to ask ourselves as a culture. Like, why does this stuff matter to us so much? I mean, honestly, it really, it's a game. And when Jesus comes again, he's not going to be asking Tom Brady and Bill Belichick how many rings they won. And again, I'm, I'm just picking on sports because that's my thing. But I imagine for the rest of you, it could be worth asking, you know, are there other ways that we just glorify people? We glorify humans or or we just give our hearts and our souls and our emotions and our time over to things that have a glory that just really won't last as opposed to God's glory, which is forever. I think one of the ways we can be tempted to not pray is just to be bedazzled and distracted by other less glorious things. And we think, you know, a game or a show or a YouTube video is more glorious than praying or than the Word of God. And we have to ask ourselves what that says about our walk with God. But in prayer, we acknowledge God's glory and we celebrate and seek God's glory. We celebrate and seek God's glory. Prayer is an act of saying, you know, whatever else is going on around me, God is glorious and I'm going to seek him right now. And I'm going to cry out and pray for God's glory to be made known in this world above all things. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Again, every great civilization, every greatest world superpower like the Roman Empire has come and gone. There's probably no reason to think ours will be any different. But God's is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And in prayer, we acknowledge that. We surrender, we submit, and yield to a greater authority. And we cease resistance. All the various ways we resist God's kingdom and power and glory, whether it's chasing after other less glorious things or or wanting to rely on our own power 
or just not wanting to submit to anyone's authority other than our own. In prayer, we cease resistance. No other, er, no earthly king, no person is worth this kind of power and glory and authority. You know, all rule and power and glory in the hands of a human being or institution would be totally dangerous. But in God's hands, it's, it makes perfect sense because God is the ultimate king and all glory, honor, and power is his. And so we need to submit. I wonder this morning, I, I know we all do, we all need to submit to his rule and yield and cease resistance. And I wonder what way that is for you this morning. In what way do you need to yield to God's rule, call upon God's power, and seek God's glory in your life? For some of you, maybe you've never really acknowledged Jesus as the ruler and king over your life. I would say, what better time than the present? He already is ruling, and he's going to rule completely over us someday, so... Let him rule over your life starting now. It only makes perfect sense. For the rest of us, we may acknowledge that Jesus is king, that Jesus is Lord, but we all have our ways that we just resist. In what way is God asking you to cease resistance this morning? I'll give us some time to think about that. But I just wanted to share one more thought and sometimes the idea of a, a great authority and submitting to an authority figure can be a scary thing. Maybe we've had bad experiences of that on the earthly level. And to talk about the power of God and the authority of God, the ultimate rule of God, and, and submitting to that, it can be a, a terrifying thought. But it's important to know what kind of king God really is. I think this will be on the, on the screen as well. But I wanted to read to you from Philippians chapter 2. So we get a picture of what kind of king and authority we're invited to give our lives to. This is the Apostle Paul describing Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." I mean, talk about a king, talk about power, talk about glory, the name that is above every name that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. And yet look at what kind of king he is. Look what he does with his power. A ruler who uses his power to serve and to lift up others, one who lays down his life for those under his rule and under his care. I don't know about you, but I would submit to a ruler like that any day. And that's what we're invited to do every day, 
And prayer is a great place to start as we pray as Jesus taught us. Yours, God, is the kingdom. Yours, Lord, is the power. Yours is the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge you today in this place as the rightful king over the earth, as the rightful king over our lives. We pray, Lord, you'd overcome our resistance to your authority. We pray, Lord, that you would catapult us into a life of surrender. Pray, Lord, you'd help us to see you for who you really are, both in your glory that that deserves complete surrender, but also in your love and humility that makes surrender a very safe thing. Lord, would you bring up for us, bring to our minds areas where we are resisting you, And invite us to cease. Lord, teach us to pray as you taught us to pray. To call upon you to submit to your rule, to acknowledge our powerlessness, to call upon your power, to celebrate your glory. Lord, make us concerned about your kingdom in a way that drives us to pray, and as we pray, make us more concerned about your kingdom. And we declare that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.